Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.A. Conrad, here with my illustrious friend, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, Conrad? Going well. We are on episode 63. Episode 63. Uh, you know, I've noticed I, I, I say that every episode as if I'm so surprised at what number Well, I always am kind of surprised, even though we've just done this a week before. So Yeah, it just feels like yesterday we were in the 40s or something. I know, I know. Um, but this week I am so psyched to be talking about Marvel's Daredevil with you. And this is the Netflix series that was all released at once. Wait, wait, wait. We're not talking about the Ben Affleck 2003 film? <laughs> well, we are touching upon that a little later on, perhaps. Oh, my gosh. Um, I rewatched the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. But in any case, no, no. We are talking about the series. It was just released on April 10th. And uh, At I, midnight Pacific Standard, which right. I did not realize until it was midnight Eastern Standard. And I was like, where's my daredevil? And before we, or after we get to all that, we will also be throwing two very new shows into the crossover. Conrad, what do we have in the crossover chamber this week? In the crossover, we are pitting the Daredevil pilot against the Gotham pilot. And the question is, which uh, pilot is a better street crime drama? Ooh, interesting. And then our top five inspired. Inspired by the 2003 Ben Affleck film, top five worst superhero movies. I had such a long list. It was tough to pare it down. There are, unfortunately, a lot of these out there. There are so many. And you and I, when we thought of doing this show, we said, oh, we'll do top fives. And sometimes it'll be top five best and top five worst. We haven't done a top five worst yet. It took us 63 episodes to make a top five worst. And here it is, our inaugural one. And this is going to be a good one. Yes, it definitely is. Uh, I cannot wait to hear what's on your list. <laughs> uh, I'm for sure we're, they're going to have uh, at least there might one. Be a, yeah, I think there's going to be one or two. <laughs> so, Conrad, um, the story of Daredevil goes way back, and we can talk about the comics, but I think it, where we should start is probably talking about the last time we saw a adaptation of Daredevil, and that was the Ben Affleck 2003 mm. film. I'm guessing... You know, you, you and I did not know each other back then, but I'm guessing you saw this in the theater? Uh, no, I refused to see it wow. in the theater. The, so, trailer, the trailers were even bad with this one. So, no, I did not. I did yeah, not give them my but, money. But it was the innocent early 2000s of superhero films when, you know, I'd we been were already s- burned so many <sighs> times. By this point, no way. By, by what? What bird? Well, maybe that'll reveal some. That of your top will reveal five. itself later. However, oh, interesting. Yes, but uh, the trailers for this, and you know, look, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, sad Affleck as Batman, and all that going on, <laughs> and I know he so much wants to be a superhero, he just isn't, and that's my take on it. So. Yeah, you know, so there's a, Entertainment Weekly did a great article looking back at that Daredevil and why it didn't work. And they talk about how it evokes the Matrix, but it doesn't have a lot of that visual uh, creativity of the Matrix. It evokes uh, the Bourne films, but it doesn't have uh, the great martial martial artists and, and that uh, really he, interesting action. He's super, super awkward. He's so awkward. Really mopey. It's and look, awkward. I have a lot of look. It's this is the thing. Clearly, he must be a comic book fan. 
I, I think he must be. And I think that it's probably anybody's dream if you're in this business to play one of these characters. And just sometimes you just shouldn't do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> so not good hey look cast. i'm no what i'm no wonder woman i love wonder woman do i wish i looked like linda carter sometimes but i understand my shortcomings and it's not to portray <laughs> you know wonder woman in a movie so well, and i mean i gotta say the director here of daredevil uh same guy who did electra our only female superhero film but then also the same guy who did Ghost Rider. These aren't really the most beloved <laughs> um, superhero I, films. I, I'll give a little like a little spoiler in that this this director is very prominently featured in my top five as as he is in mine. Um, so and the other thing I want to mention here, Conrad, before we move away from this horrible film, is that was a very different era of these superhero films. I don't think there was that much experimentation that had been done with the genre just yet. And now here we are. <coughs> Excuse me, still getting over that cold from last week. <clears throat> Here we are dealing with um, a very different era in the superhero in superhero cinema. There has been more experimentation. So, you know, coming back to Daredevil now is a really interesting thing. Um, and it took a while. It took almost 10 years for us to see the character come back. But what happened is back then, Marvel, Marvel Comics had licensed out many of their characters to different studios. And 20th Century Fox, which owns Fantastic Four, which is getting rebooted later this year. X-Men, which is coming out with X-Men Apocalypse um, pretty soon. Uh, they made Daredevil. It didn't do well. It was critically panned. Uh, they did not make another film, and that's part of the rights of of how these licenses work. Uh, Marvel licenses out the character. As long as you are making more films, you retain the rights. That's why Fantastic Four is being rebooted. Um, but they did not make another film. The rights came back to Marvel. And then Marvel announced uh, just uh, a few years ago, uh, so the rights came back in 2012, and in 2013, uh, Kevin Feige announced that they're going to be doing, they're bringing the Marvel Cinematic Universe to a on-demand streaming service, and they're going to be doing a series of films that are going to build up to a kind of a mini Avengers in The Defenders. And then it was announced that the first one is going to be Daredevil, and Netflix had the rights to it. So mm-hmm. coming after you... I would also piece, like to say that the the Drew, Gard- Drew Goddard is the person that is associated with this. And I was so excited when I saw that he was involved in this project. Why, why was that? Um, because he did Cabin in the Woods. Oh, no way. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, And he is awesome. Uh, And he is really, to me, he is very inventive. Um, Just the journey, getting Cabin in the Woods, uh, you know, putting it together. Yeah. Um, Of course, he he started as a staff writer for Buffy and Angel and was involved in all that kind of stuff. Uh, The Um, House of Ideas that came out of Buffy. Right. But he also wrote for Lost. um, Yeah. And, you know, he's been involved in a lot of projects, but 
the cabin in the woods was just a very clever project that I truly enjoyed. It, it is, and what what I I'm not gonna we're not gonna spoil that for those of you who haven't seen. It. If you haven't seen it, really check it out. Um, what I love about cabin in the woods, and what totally makes sense here, knowing that he was involved in that, it got the the genre. It knew the tropes. It played on them. It was funny while also being scary and meta and winking at the audience. Yep. And while this Daredevil is not necessarily meta and winking at the audience. What it is, it is grounded in the source material and, and that genre. And uh, Cabin in the Woods is very much grounded in what makes those movies right. tick. So I did not make those connections. I was very... Uh, I I don't want to say I, I was not looking forward to it, but... Here's a few things. So I had a sneaking suspicion this was going to be awesome. Only because and and look, he's had he's had some missteps. Um, World War Z being one of them, but yeah, he, but I mean, just because of his writing chops and other things, I was I I was anticipating that this was going to be good. He's super nerdy. He is very uh, his writing is very clever and his treatment of characters I think is very clever. So he walks the line between dark darkness and humor very easily. Yeah, and it's just a, a sensibility that I personally like. Um, also, just for your you know to to tease something a little bit, he is also going to be uh, the writer adapting The Martian. Which is coming out this year as well. So, man, Conrad, I'm um, excited for that. I guess he already did that since it's coming out this year. But uh, you know, so I'm really excited. I think he's he's getting a lot more (laughs) prominence in the in the community. He's getting a lot more work, and I and I like where it's going. So anyway, I was I was excited about this, but kind of like I think, admittedly, the the Ben Affleck film. Put a damper on on, on some not of those. a damper. I felt like I'd been burned once or something sure. like that. So Pull I was I was trying kind of to yeah, kind of. But I was trying to sort of manage my expectations, if you will. So there. So I want to say I was intrigued. Number one, I was intrigued by the timing of this. Uh, this was coming soon after I had first seen House of Cards, and um, I think Marvel probably saw House of Cards too and thought, "Hey, wow, you can really do some experimental um, content on Netflix." And uh, I'm sure there's probably Netflix has some nice business arrangements. Um, with their content producers, but it was really, this was announced in a time when streaming content or content that was, um, unique and tied to streaming services was really coming into, into being. And, uh, some of the original comments uh, associated with the producers, they said things like there aren't going to be people flying through the sky. There are no magic hammers. We've always approached this as a crime drama first, superhero show second. And then also we would lean towards the wire than what's considered a classic superhero television show. Um, and discussing how, um, the Marvel Universe has the Avengers and they're saving the universe, but Daredevil is here to save the neighborhood. But this is going to take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those comments really intrigued me because this is, you know, we already had Avengers at this point. We saw that Marvel is really good at creating these tied in storylines. But um, I was burned by Daredevil in the past. <laughs> More so, though. I felt burned by, um, to a much lesser degree, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. You're such a little Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hater. I'm um, not an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hater. 
Mm-hmm. And I just You're a shield hater. I'm a shield a <laughs> shieldist or something. Um no that would be someone maybe who likes shield. Um maybe you're, shield you're a hater. You're anti shield. You're anti shield. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'm hide that makes me a hydra or something, I guess. Anyways, the thing with the, the thing with Agents of Shield, I know it got better. I know uh, uh, Eddie Olmos is in this show now. I know this show has a lot of great diversity. It should be a show for me. Um, but while I can take the the sweetness of Marvel in the movies, meaning how playful and fun it can be, and it's not dark, it's not gritty, and besides Loki, the failure to really develop any interesting villains – on the t- on the, on network TV compared to some of the other niche TVs that that's out there, whether it's uh, Breaking Bad, um, The Walking Dead, um, Mad Men, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, I have really come um, to appreciate these shows that work in a in a really uh, intense, complicated binge-worthy viewing where the stories progress much more slowly, but you really get to know these characters. There's a lot of subtle, nuanced character development that happens. I think that's where we are now, and that's the difference between that and network TV where you have to have a much bigger audience. You can't really be that nuanced because you you got to tell stories that are a little bit more closed-ended where some people are going to watch one week. They're not going to watch next week. They're going to come and go. You have to play it safer on network TV, whereas on cable and streaming, you can – it's very different. And for that reason – and for the reason well, that- and they can also because of the way, and you and I talked about this before, because of the ease at which you can binge watch. So, this was released on April tenth. the The reviews are out, yeah. so people can now go to this. This is going to, you know, there are like rip, there's a ripple effect. So people hear how great it is, and this is something that's going to pop up as a recommendation. Um, and I think you're going, you're going, I think the audience for this is only going to grow. Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of people who, so there's, there were the devotees who waited until Friday at midnight, um, to watch the show. I was up at midnight and then I was like, where is it? And then I took to Twitter and realized it's midnight Pacific standard. Yeah. Netflix. Shakes um, fist. <laughs> that's literally I, what it just did. I, I was aware of this, so I, I watched it Saturday. Well, but then <laughs> I, I watched, uh, I watched, I got up early to watch uh, the pilot episode. Um, and then I watched, um, I watched a lot of it Saturday, Sunday and wrapped it up Monday. And I know you're, you're still wrapping it up. Um, and so what we're going to do, we're going to get into non-spoilers and then we'll talk some spoilers in a bit. But um, th- there was that first wave. And then you're right. There's the recommendations. There's the reviews that are out. Um, and then some people might come in for the next version of this show. Um, the next version. But just, of- but just by virtue of it being all there. Yeah. So it's not as if you missed anything. You can go into it you, and you can see how everything begins, see if you like it, or just watch it straight through, which is what I th- suspect a lot of people will do. But these um, shows are built for mm-hmm. that, for being able to have um, viewings that are not limited on a week-to-week basis. And as a result, they progress slower. There is more 
the character development is slower. The plot is slower. Um, the movies don't move at the, the this show um, and these streaming shows don't have to move at the pace of a film or of a network TV. The storytelling does feel different, Conrad. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But um, I want to talk a little bit about Daredevil as a character, though. Let's do it. What do you um, want to talk about? So for, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a character that was made his first appearance in 1964. And there was a variety of people that contributed to this. Stanley, Bill Everett, who is the artist who worked on it originally, and then... Uh, Jack Kirby as well, but it's not really necessarily clear how much input he had. Yeah, um, but that was probably towards the end of Kirby's sort of yeah. uh, role um, at Marvel. But you know, just generally in terms of what this character is about, he is you know he's always been a New York character, lives in Hell's Kitchen. Um, his his name is Matt Murdock, and he's blinded as a child uh, during um, it's. Um, it, this, of course, radioactive substance that falls from, like, a vehicle and, and blinds him. But supposedly the substance gives him super intense um, senses. Yeah. So it's it's not like normal superhero powers. It's not like Superman or Spider-Man or, or that kind of thing. It's not supernatural powers. Right. Um, but it is. I mean, it can seem uh, like that. Like, his yeah, powers are such that his, his senses are enhanced and he can tell when people are lying. Um, it's, it's hinted that the radioactive nature of that, those chemicals yeah. enhance those other senses. And one thing that one of the reasons I really like Daredevil is his power is so much grounded in real uh, neuropsychology. So um, that whole myth out there that you're only using part of your brain, that's, that does, that's not a thing. That's, what that is is not science. You're always using all of your brain. And one of the things that happens, we're now realizing that um, the brain is very plastic. It, it, and what we mean by that is it, it's malleable. It changes. It adapts. Some aspects of it adapt more than others, and it changes during your lifetime. But there is a lot of proof that um, individuals who become blind, the part of the back part of your head, the occipital lobe that's responsible for vision, it it isn't being used. It's because the blindness is, if it's caused in your eyes, then the back of your brain is still good, the stuff that's dedicated to processing vision. So what it ends up doing is it takes over for other senses and your touch, your hearing and stuff like that can actually increase in sensitivity. So that part of Daredevil is absolutely based on real science. But some of it's not. (laughs) Well, well, so the, the extent to which Daredevil's senses are enhanced they make him a little bit more believable as a human character i guess um although you know he can still sense certain things um well like, like he senses heartbeats right but even in um, is, in the yeah. in the comics he could actually sense when um nightcrawler was coming yeah because there would be a little like sort of change in the environment so he knew that when when nightcrawler was gonna like pop into existence so that was kind of cool. Yeah. But, and, and, but that's in the comics. But, well, you know. And, and, and the other thing that's both in the comics as well as in reality is, um, yes, your brain is plastic and it adapts. But the other thing that happens often with people who lose a sense is they get a lot of practice and experience using their other senses in new ways. Mm-hmm. And that's something we see Daredevil go through is um, intense training 
to hone in and increase his other senses. Um, so there's there's that interesting interplay that um, that there's a line actually in uh, this show in this new show where he says um, he describes what his life was like where he never noticed sirens going by or or he did but he kind of wondered like where they go um, and then after. Um, his accident and after he started developing these powers and how he was so much more aware of these sounds and what they were what they meant Um, so it's this interesting interplay between biology and also experience right Um, did you ever read any of the comics was this a character you ever followed so um, friend of the show's brother so Lowen Baumgarten who was on our episode a few weeks ago his brother uh, Austin Baumgarten is actually someone who turned me on to Daredevil and he was not a character that was on my radar at all and Austin kind of talked about why he loves Daredevil so much and um, that kind of introduced me to Daredevil uh, Born Again, uh, one of the uh, graphic novels I mentioned in our uh, culture episode way back in episode 10 mm-hmm. um, and also uh, one of my co-workers is a massive fan of the street level universe of Marvel Comics so the Punisher, the Daredevil um, a lot of these Defender heroes uh, that we're going to see pretty soon. Uh, what, what is it? The Jessica Jones mm-hmm. um, character. So I have been Did told- you ever read any of the Avengers v. X-Men? Um, I think I read an issue or two, and the same thing kind of happened to me that kind of happens with those Marvel events. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was a little over the top. It was a little I over mean, the top, and I'm not going to spend like you know fifty bucks buying these comics. I'll yeah, but some of the, it was you know some of it was kind of cool. I mean, that's it, what I heard. Yeah, I heard it's pretty cool. You know, it was. I, I love Matt Fraction. So does Daredevil make an appearance? There? Yes, he does. So so that's that's kind of cool. Um, but how does Daredevil get involved? Um, I don't recall. I just remember the Nightcrawler piece of it uh, because that yep. was sort of the the part of the system. Um, when- so, so did did you read much Daredevil? I didn't read a lot of it. Um, I feel like I can't remember when I first. It was definitely long before the Ben Affleck film because I was upset enough about it to have some <laughs> association with the comic. Um, I thought he was. I always thought he was a very cool character. Um, because he didn't have all the insane superpowers and he definitely did have weaknesses and it, you know, he was just kind of this, I don't want to say a normal guy, but he was a much more normal superhero. So a little bit of a cross between, I don't want to say Batman and Superman or whatever, but you know, he was a vigilante to some extent, but also had these, he had to work really hard to do what he did. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so he's out there. He doesn't always come out of anything, everything unscathed. And I liked that aspect of the, the character. Um, but was he somebody that I followed everything about? No. So, um, <laughs> but, so- but, and I, and I'll admit the the Affleck stuff really turned me off. 
Um, so so I think that's where we're coming into this. We both had some exposure, not diehard fans. Um, and we, you were excited and you thought this was going to be awesome. And I was intrigued. So let's get into some non-spoiler discussion about, uh, the season one of Daredevil. So, um, you're almost done with the first season. I just wrapped it up last night. So far, Conrad, what do you think? I, I think it's fantastic. I really, I really do. I think that they did an excellent job. I think the production value is is great. Um, as you said, I think that the way in which they're presenting characters, they're able to take a little bit of time um, to unveil them and to build these relationships. But I like that this show isn't cartoonish, if that makes sense. Boy, is it not. It is um, it's a very, very different vision of a of the Marvel right. universe. It's very different, and it's. I mean, there's definitely moments of levity and humor, and there there is comic relief without question throughout um, each all throughout, of that. Like yeah. so, there's not, and even when you're dealing with some of the villains, there is. I mean, there it's sometimes very dark humor, but it's there, yeah. and <laughs> there's enough of a relief that it doesn't feel extraordinarily depressing. Um, so yeah, the yeah. issues I was having with House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not here the I just didn't have enough time to to watch it straight through I would I certainly would have if Bill Wadman had allowed me to well and you also got bored with with that one and this this is not oh no no I'm not I'm saying with Daredevil I would have if I had had enough time this weekend I absolutely oh, you would have, have. yeah House yeah, yeah, of Cards is like forcing myself to get through that this is I definitely I'm always like another one another one yeah. so <laughs> yeah which means that they have absolutely succeeded as I mentioned I adore Drew Goddard I think that he really did a great thing here um well, and, I, and the cast I think is is really excellent. well cast um, really well cast here Conrad no, absolutely. And I think Charlie Cox does a really great job as Matt Murdock. Yeah, he does. And I don't, he was in, um, did you ever see the, uh, the film seen, Stardust? No, I've seen nothing this guy's been in. Oh, man. Stardust is, uh, you know, it had some problems, but as like that actually, character, as actually I pictured. I take sorry, that back. Ahead. He's been in Theory of Everything, and we reviewed that. So I've mm-hmm. seen that. <laughs> but. Um, I don't re- let me rephrase it. I don't remember him in anything and I haven't seen Stardust. Um, well, Stardust is it's um, based on a, a Neil Gaiman book and he plays the main character and he was exactly what I pictured that character being. Um, in this case, I don't know exactly what I pictured Matt Murdock being, but I think he's got it, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, I also think that the actor that plays Foggy, um, Eldon Henson. Oh, he's so, he, he's I so love good. him. He's so good. Um, and then Deborah Ann Wallace, Karen Page. Kicks um, butt. Is really awesome. And I did, did you watch True Blood at all? I didn't watch uh, that much of it, but I, but when her character was introduced, it was pretty incredible. She did a really great job, um, and of course Rosario Dars- Dawson, who I I love. Like so, I love has- her. Yeah, you know, she one of her dreams is to uh, play a Klingon. 
Yeah, uh, that's amazing. You must have <laughs> such a huge crush on her. How do you know these things? Uh, that's not exactly a hard <laughs> conclusion to reach. Well, so, um, but the the cast is great. But amazing. Oh, and we can't. We gotta forget talk about Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio, who's I'm. I was waiting. I was waiting. So um, he plays Wilson Fisk, also known as Kingpin. Um, Conrad, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this. I'm, I'm gonna put the Mjolnir right down here. Um, I'm gonna drop the hammer. This his his kingpin is now the second compelling villain we've seen are out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would agree with you on that one. He's terrifying. He's terrifying. He might be, but he's terrifying because he's also not terrifying sometimes. Uh, yes, he's compelling. He's mm-hmm. compelling. Unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, unlike Hulk. Unlike uh, the Thor film, well, no, Thor has Loki. Um, the Iron Man films, um, we have a villain that is uh, complex, that has an arc. That I, I only hope that he doesn't die with all the weight gain that he oh my had gosh. for this he, character. He and was, I was thinking that maybe some of the, I was hoping actually that some of this, and I knew a little bit better because I know, I know he's a method actor, but. He has gained so much weight, and this is a very exaggerated character. Kingpin looks like a bowl of lard in in the comics; like he is massive. I, I don't think he looks like a bowl. He, he looks, looks scarily. O- he looks scarily overweight. But for he also him. he also looks in the comics, and I would say in um, in Daredevil, Netflix's Daredevil. Um, He's not just someone who's who's large, but so- no, no, he's formidable. I'm not saying he's that. Formidable. I'm just saying like yes. he's formidable in you, you know in a way that you don't want to come up against him. He's very powerful. He's definitely not a weak character. However, seeing this on a real human being and knowing that it's a real human actor that gained this much weight, yeah. I'm just worried he's going to have like a coronary. But that's yeah. Just- it's it's like when Christian Bale lost all that weight exactly. for exactly. Uh- what was it, Machinist or something like that? Um, uh, or or when Matt Damon lost all the, the weight for... He played... Uh, gosh, what was the role? Um, I won't, I'll remember later, but so it, anyway, he, it was, the, he was in it. He was in it. He lost all this weight and ended up having like... Um, like he's to this day, still has he, like health issues from doing yeah. that. So that's what happens when, yeah. when so, you're like, a, you know... When you Method commit after. to that level. And so uh, we talked about the cast, really well cast. They got some great folks here. And um, you also, uh, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned this already or not, Conrad, but um, production value. The um, This is a good looking show. Um, it it sh- seems like it's largely shot in New York. A New York that has... A lot more abandoned warehouses and buildings than than I remember it. But one thing we we should uh, this is not yeah, but, a spoiler. Well, it's not, but they cross over into the Marvel universe because they, they're talking about the destruction of New York. Exactly, exactly. And so this show is picking up um, just a little over a year or so after the uh, uh, the events of um, the first Avengers film and the destruction of many parts of New York City. And it's revealed way in the beginning in that first episode that Hell's Kitchen, a neighborhood that was 
in the 70s and 80s, very much known for a lot of crime, um, a, not a place you want to be, and which is now known most well for its amazing Thai restaurants um, <laughs> to show that uh, a neighborhood that is very safe. Um, Hell's Kitchen was wiped out and has now become crime ridden. Um, as as the fallout of the uh, events of Avengers have taken place, so the the setting of the show it feels like it's grounded in New York. There's a little too many shots in Brooklyn or in uh, New Jersey or Long Island, kind of looking at Manhattan, which is a trick a lot of people use because right. it's easier to shoot there and you see Manhattan in the background. Uh, just a pro tip: if you're seeing Manhattan in the background, you're not in Manhattan, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they kind of do that a lot. Um, and there's a lot of the same warehouses, but the production value, the direction, um, all of this, Marvel is really bringing their a game. And, and just from the, from the two episodes, first two episodes, I was hooked and it felt like this is the same quality television that I've come to expect from Breaking Bad, from Mad Men, from Orange is the New Black, and first season of House of Cards and Battlestar Galactica and all these shows that I love, it, it had me in the first two episodes. It really? Not, oh. in, not in the first? Well, it, it did have me in the first. My, my hesitations were wiped out in the first. But it had me hooked in the okay. second. I and guess that's fair. What hooked me is the action, the choreography, and the storytelling, and how all of those things link together. So let me give you an example. The second episode is what introduces his backstory. Number That's, that's a check mark for me already. They weren't quick to introduce the backstory. They did it in a slower way. I like that. It wasn't needless action. The action linked to real events in the story. I could follow the action. The action was actually quite uh, gripping. Now it's intense. It's realistic. It's um, sometimes brutal and sometimes you want to look away. So I don't recommend this for the young kids at all. The, they've always said they're going for like a PG-16 rating or something here. Um, but what, what I love about the action is, is it means something. There's ramifications for the action. When injuries happen, they, they continue into the episode. It's not cartoonish action which we've come to expect in in the marvel cinematic i also very much like uh with the fight choreography and with the fights with the villains that the villains don't just all fall down at the drop of a hat it's realistic fighting it's hurting as you said there are repercussions for what he's doing it's not easy. It's not an easy thing that he is doing and they make that very clear yeah and and you also, especially in that amazing fight scene, you know, the one I'm talking the, about. The, so the end of the second episode yes. features um, a one-take action sequence, which is, Conrad, one of the best action sequences it's, I've it's, seen it's in It's incredible. Years. It's incredible. And you never get the sense. This is the, the thing that I think you see a little bit. You see a little bit of back and forth in some in some of these films and we saw a little bit of it in Avengers where the good guys start to lose a little bit and they're they're flagging yeah. but then it just it takes a very predictable turn in this one you just don't know what's going to happen yeah like there's always the sense that there's one kick or one punch or whatever and he's just going to be he'll, he'll be taken out and he knows it 
And yeah. so it's just sort of like forcing himself. And he's already very injured going into this particular scene. So you already know that he's not at his peak. And yeah. he's going in. And it's it's amazing. It's so well done. It's so and, well and done. And I was watching this just like... You're on the edge of your seat. It is suspenseful so for it all so of those good. reasons. For all of those reasons, it's suspenseful. And then the added layer of the story of you know what what's at stake here. Mm-hmm. You, and what's at stake here are real issues we're dealing with, not only in New York City, but, uh, but everywhere. Look, they're talking right from the get-go... This show is taking on human trafficking, which is modern day slavery. This is a real world issue that is a is majorly impacting every major city. is a huge part of of New York City. is a massive problem that a lot of people don't talk about. And here is Marvel's Daredevil talking about human trafficking. We go into the show. There's other stories about domestic violence. And then there's there's a storyline about a forced eviction, mm-hmm. something that is a major issue um, that I know a lot of people outside of New York might not have too much experience with. But, um, but the it middle is in cl- the headlines right now. It's in the headlines. The middle class and the low cl- uh, lower socioeconomic class in New York City is running out of places to live. And certain apartments where you are guaranteed a, a, a rent and guaranteed it's not going to raise above a certain amount, there is an effort by a lot of landlords to force and bully you out of those apartments so they can move in richer people who can pay a higher rent. Now, that's a real issue that is becoming more and more aware for a lot of people but here is again marvel's daredevil taking on these tough issues these tough present day issues conrad i never expected that and i was so impressed at marvel's ability to take a risk here create a very gritty realistic show that is also dealing with real world issues bravo marvel mm-hmm. agreed agreed um it's- I I think that their and their way of doing it isn't in your face. It's there and it's the main part of the episode or it's a main plot point in moving the story forward, but it's done in a very natural way with the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I mean like like it's not just like there's one scene with a particular character and you kind of you kind of like, "Oh, I see where they're going there." Uh, it's not just lip service, I guess. Like no, they, it, they're kind of seeing it to a natural end, um, and it's and they weave it in as part of the story. And this, and, it, and it pays off throughout the season. Well, um, and it's also, I mean, I have to say, and I'm not, I, I as I said, I haven't yet finished it, but it it makes you understand why these characters are so popular and why they are yeah, so popular yeah. right now and why they have longevity, and it's because. They are bringing some of these issues so, into the forefront and they are making everybody feel, you know, the reason why this person is going out and fighting this um, is is very clear. So, Conrad, I think- I, I'm so glad you're mentioning that because that um, you are absolutely right here. This what you're saying is it, it, it honors the canon and it honors the source material and you understand why the source material is so popular. It is a much more intimate, realistic story. Now, again, I know. Suspend your disbelief against or around his superpowers, but even there, the superpowers are grounded more in reality. This is 
very true to who Daredevil is in the comics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will totally agree. So, I mean, I don't know how much, what more you want to talk about just, related just to a this. Few, yeah, just a few things. One, um, we see a lot of diversity within this character. Uh, this is a character who is blind. You know, name any other superhero who has some type of disability. Um, it's pretty hard to do that. Um, maybe Professor X comes to mind, but there's, it's hard to, to think of characters like that. And it's also pretty rare to see a character who is religious and to see the character engage in his religion. And I think what's far more interesting and important is to struggle with his beliefs, with his behavior, with his actions, and to try to integrate and weave in his idea of who he is. And that is a, a, a journey and an arc that we see to this character. And we see the parallel with Kingpin. And mm-hmm. that gets back to what you were saying about the, the he. we can understand at times where he got to this place. And at times you forget that he is... Um, the crime lord and the villain right. and the supervillain. And in fact, Conrad, when he was, I, I read almost nothing about this. I did not realize when this character is introduced on the screen that this is Kingpin. Oh, you didn't? I didn't. And isn't that a wonderful testament to how this character was acted, how he was written, and how he was directed? Because it didn't scream, enter supervillain mm. here. No, it's true. Which is what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has struggled with. That is, I've had two criticisms of the MCU. One, no villain beyond Loki. That's worth any discussion. Number two, no real development of musical themes and cues that carry on through the films. I, I think they still didn't really develop an interesting musical theme here, although the music is much better than something else we're going to talk about in our crossover. Um, but boy, did they develop a really interesting villain. I want to see that kingpin um, elsewhere in the MCU. I, I think this is just such a great, um, such a great villain. I got just a couple of complaints, Conrad. Um, one complaint here. Uh, uh, no, I think I have three. So one, I love all the actors. I love the the aspects of diversity that they're bringing here. It's a shame that I don't think this show really passes the Bechdel test. Um, we have female characters, and we have female characters kicking butt. Rosario Dawson is basically playing the night nurse, um, the individual who does take care of superheroes when they're injured. Um, and we also have um, another a uh, character here who is um, uh, so Deborah Ann Wool playing Karen Page, who has many awesome moments of kicking butt. However, the female characters rarely interact with each other at all, which is basically saying we need some more representation of them here. That- no, I'd agree with that. And I think, you know, considering that they had the character of Claire, which is the one that Rosario Dar- Dawson plays. Um, and that's not really, you know, they're they're putting her in here. She's not really necessarily a part of the Daredevil story. Yeah. So they were kind of, you know, taking her and, and combining her and put her putting her in there. So I had some hope when she appeared, just thinking, okay, maybe they'll do something different. And also hoping that they were going to do something a little bit different with Karen Page. 
Yeah. But they they haven't really. Um, yeah, and it started. And, and I'm kind of like, it would have been really easy to do something a little bit more with that to kind of get away from the very tired love triangle between her and, and Foggy and, and Matt. Which is a constant little undertone. It's more, uh, it's not even a little undertone, and it's it's there, and parts of it are cute, and yes, it's totally part of the story, and they use it for comic relief, but yeah, I agree with you, that's something I would like to see a little bit more, is just, again, this is something that Marvel has a problem with, yeah. and, and they need to do something about it, and... I was a little bit surprised because I'll admit I was hoping with Drew Goddard that maybe maybe there would be some innovation there. But I also think that there's room for that improvement that hopefully yeah. will come. And there's obviously going to be another series. So Yeah, there there's going to be another. We don't know if there's going to be another season, but we do know 60 <laughs> episodes of this mini Marvel uh, Cinematic Marvel Netflix universe has been built. We know that the next character um, coming down the pipe is going to be uh, the Jessica Jones character. This is all leading to the Defenders. So hopefully they're going to they're gonna learn and improve here. But yeah, that was one complaint. The other thing I want to say is um, um, I really like his costume, the, the Frank Miller-inspired black costume. When the final costume is finally revealed, it's kind of like, Meh, can we go back to the more realistic one? I kind of yeah, like that. I agree. Yeah. I like I, I like the I like the black costume. I think that that's a better way to go. It's so cool. And then related to that, um, I don't really think we see too much of his weakness. We see how he's uh, we see the advantages, and we have a great flashback episode where we're seeing how he was trained and how we learned all of these things. Um, I wanted to see him more, more of his weaknesses, and I can't. I, so there is an episode where you see him kind of push to his limits. Mm-hmm. You see some of the implications of of his relationships and what happens when he is this uh, this uh, uh, this costumed vigilante, this masked vigilante, I should say. So we see those kind of weaknesses, but it's a little different. Um, I don't really feel like we understand right now. Um, yes, he is blind, but really he's not. Um, and so what are the ramifications of having all of these senses so heightened? He mm-hmm. he, he says one thing that he, he has to have satin sheet seats because um, cotton feels like it's kind of like sandpaper on his skin. Um, I'd like to see and understand a little bit more about that. I thought you were going to see. I'd like to see him sleep on the silk sheets. <laughs> I'm like, you're weirdo. Anyway. I, I want to see him actually do that. No, <laughs> I, I, I want to see um, what is it like to live a life as this man who, you know, I spend a lot of my days working with people who sometimes have very, very heightened senses. And it's a very... Uh, walking through New York City is a constant assault on your senses. Sound, uh, touch, uh, um, uh, taste, um, sounds, all that stuff. You're constantly bombarded by people, by things, by all this stuff. For Matt Murdock, that should be an incredibly grueling experience. Well, I know at least for... for, uh, for 
Mr. Cox it was. Uh, so he actually had to hire um, a like a coach to teach him how to move and act um, like a blind person. Huh. So, you know, there's one specific interview he gave where he was talking about the fact that, you know, Matt can't see his buttons, so he has to just know where they are. And so not only not only is he trying to act like a, a blind person, but he has to act like a blind person with super sensory, you know, like, like perceptions. So it's, it's interesting um, that... It, it actually was a pretty grueling experience for the actor himself. Mm. So maybe that's why it's also some believable. But I agree. I guess I guess maybe we need to see a little bit more of how those things would affect him. I think we see a little bit of that, though, in the back, a little further on past the, the beginning. Yeah, a little Stick, bit. With Stick, yeah. um, who's his mentor. and what, such a good episode. Con. It really is a good I episode. Love but that one. But he, you know, we, we get to see in a flashback how he starts to to train Matt Murdock. And initially he's the the one that calls out the fact that he has all this stuff and that he's got to block out certain things. And, and so, I mean, I think you see a little bit of that, but maybe they could do that a little bit more. Well, I've got one last thing to say, one last complaint, and this is on, on Netflix's side. So I, I don't, um, did you hear about the controversy with descriptive audio? Yes, uh, I did. So here it is. Marvel creates a, a show with a, a, the lead superhero is blind and um, airs it on Netflix. And Netflix does not have a descriptive audio track so that individuals who are blind can also experience and enjoy this series. So there was a, a controversy about that. Um, a lot of people were, were angry about this. And um, just today, so as we record this, it's April 14th, um, and Netflix has now added the descriptive audio track, and they also just added descriptive audio for House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, Unbreakable, uh, uh, Kimmy, Marco Polo, um, and my really did it. Why did it take so long? And I'm glad Netflix did it today, mm-hmm. but uh, that just seems um, um, it's yeah, just it, it seems yes, absolutely. Like it's just very much like common sense and that should not have been missed but it shouldn't have been missed regardless of what the content of the show is about exactly it, and you it know, shouldn't so. have been missed for the, the what what shocks me and it, it, it you know you, you in these kind of situations you realize how privileged you are that you don't if you if you aren't blind you don't have to even worry or know about this or even realize that descriptive audio exists. What is descriptive audio? Well, it describes some of the action happening on scene so that if you're blind, you can still f- follow the story and enjoy it. And I didn't even know that that existed. I had never had to because I am privileged because I have sight. Right. And um, once I found this out and then once I found out that Netflix doesn't have this for any of their other original content. Are you kidding me, Netflix? House of Cards? You haven't had that? For that, Orange is a New Black? Come on, Netflix. So um, hopefully Netflix has learned its lesson, and um, I don't think they uh, – I I hope they don't make this um, uh, mistake again. I I hope they don't either. Um, But I I hear your your – your complaints, but I think overall this was very successful. I would recommend it 
to everybody, not just comic book fans. I think people who are not familiar with this character might enjoy this show. It's really well done. Um, I also like that they do play to the fans. There's a lot of Easter eggs throughout this whole series, which is very cool. Yeah, Conrad. And little mentions and just really just they're they're making everybody happy which is great and they're not hitting you over the head like no, with some of not, these yeah. references it's really really nice um i mean we they, got maybe a potential bullseye here we have the individual who makes his suit yep. is a pretty influential character in the marvel universe um they have they, they have nice nods making fun of captain america and thor Oh my gosh! And also, you know, they do as we've talked about. Marvel does a really great job at tying the universe, the shows together, and the timing together. Um, so, like Sky, there's a mention of Saint Agnes, which is the same place that Matt, Matt Murdock like goes so they mentioned saint agnes's a yeah lot. so and, the and, same orphanage so it's like there, well, it, there's it, a lot of little things in here that they they bring in and it's part of the show naturally it's not sort of like sticking yes, out there like a Conrad, sort of thumb yes this is you know I, I i don't like the term fan service because it's hard to define what that means but often one of the problems is when people are throwing things in there that are references to make people happy but they're not they don't really resonate with the story that's being told. And all the Easter eggs here are either things that are not obvious and distracting to non-fans of the comic book, but they're also the, the direct references to Captain America and things like that work in the context of the story. It's very seamless. Um, I love that. And look, some people, comp- uh, some one criticism of Marvel, well, they're just creating this universe to make it vertically integrated to make sure that you have to see all these movies to make profit. Yeah, sure, profit is, is important. Profit is what's keeping this all going. That's why Disney bought Marvel. But, but what is coming along with this m- marvelous no pun intended, cinematic universe, is a very engrossing, compelling story. Marvel is showing us that we've got this fantastic sandbox, and let's create some stories that tie many aspects of it in. We've got this cosmic, weird, wild version of it in Guardians of the Galaxy, and then we've got this kind of like brand ship flagship um, of Avengers, but we've also got this very niche um storyline that's a very personal story in daredevil um conrad as a fan of this genre and these types of characters i am all on board and i'll also say if you're not a fan of this comic book genre but you are a fan of this quote-unquote golden age of the tv drama check out daredevil newman was not a fan of this character or of superhero comics no, that's what i'm saying i don't think you have to be and you i don't think have to be but there's something for everyone here and it's it's well done yeah so, she, and, got, she got pulled into it conrad i don't know if bill had this experience but uh, bill she, did he's a little bit you know less into it than i am but he, you know, it's it's a little dark for him, but he he likes it probably better than most of the things that I force him to watch. There you go. What more can you ask for? I, I don't really have much more to say, Conrad. I know we could get into spoilers, but I have nothing to say other than that people should watch it. I I have so the only only thing I the only concern for people not to watch it is is the violence. Um, 
don't let your young kids watch it. Um, you know, I mean, you know your family best, so I shouldn't tell you what to watch and not watch. But be aware there's there's violence. Uh, oh, it's definitely adult themed. This is not, as we said, it's not cartoonish, so it's pretty graphic. It's in not. The, in, Mm, well, there's some there's well, some graphic that, moments. There are graphic moments. There is I'm thinking vi- specifically violent. of a certain character. Well, know. yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly. But, but in any I, case, I'll say it's violent and it's graphic and it's violence. It's not necessarily graphic in in sexuality. Um, and uh, there's a little bit more swearing than mm, we're used yeah, to the MCU. Yeah. Um, not a lot more. Um, and that, you know, they, they maintained, while they added a lot of graphic violence, they didn't have other things that usually come with that kind of stuff. So that was kind of interesting. But beyond that, I would say if you're, if you're a fan of the character, if you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of Marvel, or if you like sort of, um, these, uh, these kind of criminal, uh, these criminal drama kind of shows, you got to check out Daredevil. I think it's amazing. Agreed. So I think we're ready to go into the crossover chamber. Uh, let's enter the infinite crossover chamber. Those are the pages turning of the Marvel logo that you see when they when mm-hmm. they, it appears on on screen. I I did I, I thought you were gonna do some sort of like super radar lie detector sounding something. No. <laughs> Though that's the heartbeat that you're that you're picking up on. So, uh, Conrad, who is in the Infinite Crossover Chamber today? Uh, We are pitting uh, Daredevil against Gotham, and I think this is going to be a pretty short crossover. Yeah, it's going to be short crossover because Daredevil wins this. Yeah, I know. What's the better comic (laughs) comic book street crime drama or the portrayal of a a street crime drama? So Um, we both really like daredevil that is obvious um let's revisit gotham so you and i covered gotham in our episode that um about the pilot episode when when gotham came out back in fall and one of the things you and i talked about in that episode is this is the beginning of the geekiest tv season ever Mm -hmm. there was some hope that we both had. I will say, though, we were in that episode um, in preparation for this crossover. I was re-listening to part of it. And boy, we, if anything, it was very reluctant hope that that show would get better, that it and would it deliver didn't. on its promise. Well, and also there, did you see the news that uh, Constantine was canceled? Not surprising. But, oh, yeah, no, they, Yeah, didn't. news came through that that's, that's canceled. And... You know, I as a, as a fan of Hellblazer, I couldn't make myself watch that show. Yeah, another so, show that we reviewed the pilot, and we were hopeful that it would improve. It was, but isn't it nice to have a show that we just watched that there's no, there's none of that reluctant hope. <laughs> no, and there's already a commitment for for more of this character. But so l- let's start off with the beginning here. Look, there's there's a lot of parallels. Daredevil is a parallel character to Batman. They are Mm -hmm. both vigilantes. They both have a traumatic past. They both go through their ninja-like training Mm -hmm. to build on their senses. One with an actual ninja, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally, which was, oh my gosh, awesome episode in Daredevil. It was awesome. Um, And so there's a lot of similarities to their origin stories. They're both vigilantes fighting on the street. Um, They are, they both have some interesting foes. Um, 
they are they're there's a they're both committed to not kill um now you and you have not stuck with gotham oh no not at all neither have i can i ask you why um, you know, we talked about a little bit of this during the first episode. I tried it for a couple of episodes and it just didn't improve. And for all the reasons that we just talked about why we love Daredevil, I mean, I think that Gotham has some of the problems that you were laying out in the beginning, like why some of these uh, streaming services can develop the series that are a little bit more subtle, a little bit better in character development, because you know that people are going to be binge-watching them. So you're able to unfurl some of that storyline just a little bit more naturally, whereas on network television, you basically have to go all in. And one of the things we talked about during the Gotham pilot is the fact that it felt like they were really trying to cram so much into that episode, perhaps in the hopes of grasping, you know, or grabbing, grasping, grabbing, what have you. Um, (laughs) the largest audience possible and in, in bringing people in and being like, okay, maybe if I show, okay, I'm going to show this character. We know that this is going to be, you know, like a key character later on. And it's a little bit of an Easter egg. Um, but it was, it was basically like they were trying to do too much too fast. Oh, and I completely so, agree. So no, nothing was sacred and therefore nothing was good. And whereas Daredevil, as you said, they didn't explain too much. They didn't treat the audience like they were dumb. They didn't over-explain. They allowed the story to play out in a very interesting way. And there were mysteries. There are mysteries that are revealed. Um, the reveal of Kingpin doesn't happen for a little while. You hear about yeah. it. It's sort of, they kind of build it up and they build it up really, really well. They build it up to the point. Don't and, say his name. It's it's alluded right. to that there's this character orchestrating this, but we don't see him for many and episodes. And there is such fear of this character, even from the people that work for him, that it when he's finally revealed, it's it's not a letdown, and it's really just artfully done. It, Gotham hits you over the head with it. Meanwhile, has- meanwhile in Gotham Land, yeah, absolutely, they are in that first episode. Oh my goodness, Conrad! So many members of the Rogues Gallery to Batman are revealed. And not only are they revealed, but Poison Ivy is revealed with a potted plant. Enigma right. is revealed saying a riddle. Penguin is revealed. Cobblepot is revealed and called Penguin. Right. Um, I really like this uh, article, we'll put it in the show notes by Entertainment Weekly, where they talked about why Gotham didn't hasn't worked and um here's a little bit of it that i like gotham is too impatient to be interesting it wants to entertain us with the signature traits of its icons now the show already has a young bruce wayne playing dark knight detective catting around with selena and trying to solve the murder of his patient uh, of his parents the personalities of gordon the penguin selena they're all nearly fully formed they all can be um all they can be or is more or less than what they already are. That's the problem of Gotham. It has already done everything it possibly can to make the show interesting. And the thing that does make uh, Gotham interesting is Jada Pinkett Smith's character, Mm -hmm. Fish, who is completely underused, misused, and the larger part, there's a very famous moment that happens in season one of Gotham, and it involves Fish, and a spoon. And I'll just, that's all I'll say. Those of you who watch the show know exactly what I'm talking about. And 
what we're seeing here with moments like that is this the character developments and arcs are very inconsistent they're goofy they're wacky and i really like what io9 said when they they asked a question um is gotham really just a prequel to the 1960s Batman TV series, because that's how silly and wacky and weird it is. This I wouldn't even give it that much credit. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. I think that that's this is this is a there's not really an argument here. Um, I think the clear winner is Daredevil, and it's sort of you know with with the hopes that we had watching Gotham. I think it's actually sort of sad because I think part of why you and I had such high hopes is that there were so many possibilities out there in terms of a nerdy television season. And I think the majority of those shows let us down. No, I think Flash Flash is a a clear winner here. uh, The Flash is a very clear winner. But, you know, for the ones that, you know, I wanted to see Constantine be good. I did too. Um, I wanted I, to see Constantine redeem itself from that terrible movie with Keanu Reeves, <laughs> um, and it just I'm quite that, able to do it. it ju- that just didn't happen, and I feel like I'm so happy about um, Daredevil because I feel like okay, guys. This is proof. This is proof that it can be done and how it should be done. Well, what's disappointing to me, Con- uh, Conrad, is Constantine was canceled while Gotham has been renewed for a second season. I can't Jada believe P- it's been I renewed. I can't believe it. it's been renewed. Jada Pickensmith has announced she's not going to be in sec- season two. She's oh, I can't down. imagine why. Uh, yeah, I know. She's probably like, oh, my gosh. But uh, I think the comment, uh, I, I, you know, the advice, never read the comment section. Um, mm. I did read it for this week's um, io9 review of Gotham since it just came back this week uh, for a few more episodes, which, boy, that's a mistake right ever, Daredevil. Here's a comment that I read um, that just made me smile. Uh, the person wrote, binge watched a bunch of Daredevil um, after, um, binge watched a bunch of Daredevil this weekend, tried to watch Gotham. It's like drinking orange juice after brushing your teeth, only in my brain. That's um, kinder than it should be. <laughs> Um, it is a painful experience for me now that I'm so used to what we find in cable and on streaming TV for the type of television that can be told. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting network TV, but it didn't used to be like this, Conrad. We had Lost. Lost was a major... Yeah, but you know what? Lost was at a different time. I think what you're seeing is the evolution... Of television series, and they're you think trying if to Lost keep... was made now, it would be on AMC or yeah. Sci-Fi or I think it would Netflix have to be. or Amazon. I honestly think it would have to be, um, oh, and I good. and I think <laughs> that what you're seeing is a reaction by network television. Okay, so we know that the streaming services are out there and that content is being created, and these are all really big hits. So what do we do? And they want it, it's like they don't quite know what to do. And you're right. I do think that some of the limitations is the fact that you're it's one episode a week and you can't you know, if you miss something, you can now watch most things online, but they put a lot of bells and whistles to make it annoying to watch. Well, you know and- what I mean? Like so you get to watch are you going to choose to do that or are you going to go watch Daredevil commercial free? Well, and the other thing too, if Lost was made now, Conrad, um, it wouldn't necessarily be made with a 24 episode bill per season. True. And when we go back to our Lost anniversary episode that we did with a good friend of the show, Derek Bishop, one of the things we talked about is the episodes that left 
lagged were also the episodes that were pro- uh, the seasons that lagged were the seasons that were longer than they needed to be. Um, whereas if we look at Battlestar Galactica, we look at Game of Thrones on HBO, which also just came back. Um, we look at Mad Men. These seasons are much shorter. And there, there's an ability in these niche networks, whether on cable or on Netflix, for you to do just as many episodes as you need to to tell the story that you want to. That is very different than network TV, which has demands to produce a lot of content and to stretch out these seasons longer than they really can sustain themselves. Boy, Conrad, you and I have a lot of strong feelings about this, and our feelings are all in favor of Daredevil versus Gotham. They are. So I think we can move on to the f- the most fun part, I think, <laughs> of this particular show. Um, well, I just was excited to talk about this next piece with you. So. This next piece, uh, boy, our first top five worst. Um, what are we talking about today, Conrad? Top five worst what? Uh, we are talking about top five worst um, comic book movies or movies, I guess, interpretations of comic books, graphic novels, what have you. Sure. Yeah. There's pretty Um, broad. Boy. Okay. 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 I'm really excited about this discussion. Um, Okay. So how did you go about making your list and what's your criteria for a worst comic book movie, worst adaptation? So I wrote a list and it was very, very long. (laughs) And then I had to... I, I had to call it down, and part of how I did it was if there's a couple of different things that end up on on my particular list. Um, there, I, I feel like the rendition of the film absolutely undermines any love I feel for that comic book. For Ooh, that graphic that's, novel, that's good criteria, and, and that I can't really recognize what I'm seeing. So even though the Ooh. characters might be named or whatever, and and part of what I think is a success, and I mean, I know I know you and I have talked a little bit about Watchmen, and I do I've gotten into arguments with a lot of people about this. Uh, you know, understanding that there are certain stories and characters and backstories, and as you know, storylines, especially relating to certain um, fr- certain franchises um, like X-Men, for example, it's very hard you, because the creators have to do two things. They have to keep the people that are their base audience, the people yeah. that are just going to come and see this the comic book story. F- the because fans. They, the fans, um, you know, no matter what, they really want to see this. They want to see their characters uh, in, a, in a live action film. Um, but you also, to, to make this successful you also have to draw in a new audience who maybe don't know these characters don't know the backstories um the things that daredevil the netflix series does so well is that they're they're playing true for the fans but they're also able to draw in new fans who have no sort of interaction with these characters yeah um so i feel hard to do both it's a very hard thing to do so i understand that this is a difficult task However, there are some real clunkers out there. Um, And so there's a couple on there where I was just like, even when I saw the trailers, just really amazed that they had gotten it so very wrong. (laughs) And so that's kind of long long story short. My criteria was uh, somewhat similar. It sounds like yours was you have a love 
of the character or the the team or the source material and then you you don't recognize it and it produces hateful feelings inside um mine was similar in that i see something and i just can't stand it i have no intention or desire or want to see it again um even in a camp or that and that's what gets beyond the campiness. There's some movies that are bad, but they become campy, and I can enjoy the badness. These are things that I I just can't enjoy. Um, And also, for some of my entries, they were damaging to the franchise. They Mm. might have killed off the franchise in a way. So... um, So that... I'll I'll leave it at at, at that. Um, So, should we get started with our number fives? Yes. Let me go first, Conrad. Um, my first, because I just, I need to get it off my chest mm-hmm. um, because I hate this movie so much. This movie disappointed me. It made, I was so excited for it. It made me angry. I thought the effects, one of the effects in it was somehow worse than its predecessors, which I don't understand. And this was so damaging that it, to this franchise that it stopped what was going to be the first in a series of films from happening. This film also came out the week before the 2009 Star Trek reboot, so it really freaked me out, and I thought that movie was going to go downhill. It didn't, fortunately. But my number five pick is X-Men Origins Wolverine. I, um, I thought about putting that on there, but I stayed away from it. Why'd you stay away from it? Because um, you had another X-Men film to pick? <laughs> well, that too. But it was so bad that it, I almost am able to block out the fact that it exists. Okay, okay. So fair enough. So if it's so bad you've repressed it, I'll give you that. Um, here's why it's bad. Number one, uh, Wolverine's claws, they look worse than they did in X-Men 3. A very, another very bad x-men movie but the they script looked was horrible really bad but they his claws look worse than x x1 mm-hmm. how does that happen um striker is much better done in x2 will i am is in this why is he in this i don't know but it's also very detrimental to the character of deadpool who was played uh by um uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, and they just obliterated that character, and now we're getting a red uh, a Deadpool reboot. But that was something that was supposed to happen a long time ago. This film's horrible depiction of it destroyed that project, and it also destroyed what was going to be a series of films called X Men Origins. I believe the next one was going to be X Men Origins Magneto. Uh, this film was uh, released; it was bootlegged and and released on the internet. Um, early and uh, it had hor- the effects weren't done but then it, it, people saw it and they're like oh my gosh this is really bad like I hope they fix these mistakes and they didn't and they ended up releasing a film that had a really poorly developed script um, that did not honor what we love about this character it destroyed the X-Men Origins franchise it destroyed Deadpool and that film um, it, it was horribly cast. It was, I, I haven't seen it since because it just made me so mad. I, I'll give you that. And I absolutely repressed it. So 
there you go. <laughs> what what's your number five, Conrad? Um, my number five is Constantine, the film. Oh well, that makes sense. I get that. Um, it this when I when I first saw the trailer, admittedly, when I saw who they had cast. I was, and it was Keanu Reeves. I was like, okay. You were like, whoa. But no, I was not. But that's pretty awesome. Um, that's but, my Keanu Reeves Matrix impression for those of you. Um, score. That was amazing. Um, you know, I love Hellblazer. I love the book. I thought that some of the visuals here were great, and I did have a little. It was one of those those things where I saw the trailer and I was like, okay. Um, and there was, admittedly, there were some interesting ideas that they did with this. And if it hadn't been constant, like if it hadn't been Hellblazer, maybe I could have brought myself to like it more. But, um, it just, it just was terrible. It was a terrible, like the pacing was weird. Um, also I was excited to see Tilda Swinton in it and, and she couldn't even do it. She couldn't even do it for me. Um, I feel like they had a lot of potential and just kind of wasted it. And it it really made me like, I left the theater just like, what, what just happened to me? (laughs) Um, is that a thing that just happened? That was experience I had with my number five. Right. So anyway, so yeah, that's, that's why it's my number five. Um, you know, I, I think I think they had the best intentions, and I think they just didn't know what to do with it. And granted, it is a, this is a very difficult storyline, clearly, um, given what's happened with the television show. I am seeing an update right now that, in fact, the rumors that it, it, the television series was canceled are apparently untrue. Huh. Breaking so news. I, t- I take that back. Uh, apparently, they are saying that, no, don't, don't, don't write us off yet so i'm actually very shocked that that rumor is not true um but clearly this is this is something that is hard for people to translate um into a series or or a live action film i wish that somebody would take this in hand drew goddard are you listening (laughs) (laughs) well if neo can't pull it off then uh i don't know if it can be done conrad um so yeah i haven't seen that film um, because everyone told me it was so bad. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't recommend you go there. Anyway. Uh, but my number four is a film that probably everyone here has seen. Um, it's Spider-Man 3. Oh, yeah. I had that on my honorables. Oh, here's why it, it, it made my list, might not have made yours. Um, I love the Sam Remy uh, Spider-Man film, Spider-Man 1 and 2. I really love them. And I have a lot of respect for them for what they did for um, superhero films and for the geek culture. Spider-Man and X-Men, when they came to Comic-Con, they elevated – when Sam Remy – uh, came to Comic Con, kind of elevated the presence and the focus and the uh, the common knowledge of San Diego Comic Con, and kind of changed things a lot. That first Spider Man film, it really brought the country together in a way. It brought the United States together in a way that um, was exactly what we needed coming out of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. That first film was just really important in, the, in this world that we talk about of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour and all the awesome things that nerds love. Now, Spider-Man 2 was a fantastic sequel. We got a really great 
villain with Doc Ock, who was complex. We had an evolving storyline related to uh, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, as well as James Franco's Harry Osborn, and the events of the first film. We had a fantastic cameo appearance in that by... Um, by Oswald Sr. Um, a lot of really good stuff in that second film. And then in the third film, it all combusts and explode. So not only do we have New Goblin with James Franco, Sandman by Thomas Church, but then we also have Venom with Topher Grace, and we have the symbiote storyline playing out with Peter Parker. Um, and then the introduction of Gwen Stacy by Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, Conrad, that's a lot of stuff. It's, yeah. It was too much. I could have just, just done with one villain or just done with Peter Parker facing off against himself and the, and the, um, the symbiote and then have that at the very end set up the Venom storyline. Or just have New Goblin and James Franco, like there. This there could have been, you know, this this could have been a contender. It could have been great. <laughs> I love Sam Raimi. I love what he does. I really like the Tobey Maguire Spider Man, and um, I didn't walk out of this shell shocked because my roommates, I think, saw how down I was, and they were trying to cheer me up by making fun of the film, which we did. I mean, and there's that horrid, horrid dance number that happens. Oh. Uh, right? Like that when emo Peter Parker kind of yeah, starts it's, like... it's not good. It goes into this disco moment. It's... What? what? Um, this is uh, just a shame. Um, real shame. Um, you know, and, and they should have switched Thomas Church with Topher Grace in playing Venom and Sadman. That didn't really make any sense to me, that casting. Topher Grace would have been a great Sandman, and Thomas Church could have been a great Venom. What, what's going on there? I don't know, Conrad. I don't know. No one asked me these things. They don't ask me for my advice. Um, <laughs> but horrible. Hate it, Spider-Man 3. I'm, I'm right there with you, buddy. What you got oh. for number four? For number four, this may be, I, I suspect it may be higher up on your list, uh, but it is Catwoman. Uh, you know what? I've never seen it, so I couldn't put it on my list. Well, I can't say that I have seen the whole thing because I walked out of the theater <laughs> oh. watching it. It was that bad. Yikes. Um, it's, um, you know, to date has a 9% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that that's actually too high. <laughs> Um, Halle Berry won a Razzie for this and showed up to claim it because yeah. she she's like, yeah, that was horrible. Yeah. So this came out in 2004. It, you know, they were trying to capitalize upon the popularity of this particular uh, character, but then they changed everything about her origin story. Like, we're not even talking about messing a little bit with canon. They just threw away the canon, uh, made this super weird and strange Um it, I mean, the script changed hands a bunch of times. I, I can't really make any excuses for it, but the acting was horrible. The directing was horrible. Um, it ends up yeah, as one of Roger Ebert's wor most hated films on his list. Um, and, you wow. Know, I have to say, look, Halle Berry is awesome, and she is a beautiful woman and a, an incredibly talented actress. Yeah, this Academy Award here, winning. Yeah, yeah Halle Berry. I gotta, I gotta give, I gotta give her credit for showing up for that Razzie. <laughs> um, but it just, it was, it was 
Um, I actually didn't even want to go to see this in the theater, but yeah. was dragged by a certain friend of mine who shall remain <laughs> nameless. And uh, seriously, like halfway through the film, I was like, I, I just can't take this anymore. And so I left. And so it doesn't even and work. I think in that, that may be one of the few films I have ever done that with. Yeah. Um, does it work at all in a no. campy way? Uh, I mean, if you're what, like, I think it could be a mystery science theater <laughs> subject matter, um, but uh, it's just so bad. It's unwatchably bad. Wow. So um, th- and, uh, here's what's, I think, interesting about this discussion as I'm, I'm realizing, um, you know, I've, I've, I've realized this before, but this top five really brings it to light. There's no one reason why a good idea becomes a horrible movie. Um, the idea of doing a Catwoman movie is great. The- well, and I think that this is why it upsets me so much is that, look, we have seen clearly there is there. We're, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Other than Electra, we don't really see a female based comic book movie. And then they did this. And I feel like this is part of the reason why. And they take this character that's truly an awesome character. Yeah. Um, and yeah. they just, they Very just compelling character. treated it terribly, treated it like did no respect whatsoever for this character. And um, I was appalled by this. And so I think that that's part of why it just, uh, maybe it should have been higher on my list. Not to um, mention that outfit, Conrad. W- uh, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, we got to move on from this because I just can't talk about it. Anymore. Well, so so here's the thing: it's got an Academy Award-winning actress, um, and you would think, oh, Holly Berry, that should make it good. Here's the thing about films: they are an incredibly uh, collaborative medium. Studios place their limitations on what needs to be done and what can be done. Writers do their best given the limitations they work in. Um, hey, I will. I will give it to to Halle Berry. She did the best she could. Well, and that's the thing with, with what with what she was given. Exactly. I mean, it was an admirable attempt. But there's no getting over that script. There is no getting over what it, like it just. There's no getting over it. So yeah, and that ties into my number three. So my number three is Green Lantern, uh, the 2009 film by Martin Campbell, starring Ryan Reynolds. Now. Let's look at this. Martin Campbell. This is the director, the guy who, who made two of my favorite James Bond films, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. I love 2009's Casino Royale. I think it's such a great reboot. And I love GoldenEye for its total 90-ness James Bondness. Um, really enjoy those two films. And they're two films that you'd think would prepare him well for Green Lantern. Um, and Ryan Reynolds had such a wonderful, inspirational moment at uh, San Diego Comic-Con before this film came out. A uh, child asked a question during the Green Lantern panel, like, do you know the oath? And this guy, before the film even started filming, or they're in the middle of filming it, had it memorized. Ryan Ryan Reynolds said, you know, in uh, Darkest Night and whatever, I don't know the, 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 the slogan of whatever it is for the Green Lantern Corps, but he did. And he said it in this very passionate way. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Warner Brothers and DC are back. They've got a great director. They've got an actor who looks the part, who believes the part. This is going to be great. Like the opportunity here for um, 
to bring back a DC kind of universe, this is going to be so cool. And then it was horrible. It is a <laughs> horrible film. Um, I watched it, uh, like I, I rented it to watch in the train ride down between New York and DC, like I think a year ago or so, because I, I didn't watch it in theaters because I heard how horrible it is. And I think the the thing about the Green Lantern storyline is it's very cosmic and weird. Um, and it makes all the mistakes that Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't. Guardians of the Galaxy is a weird part of the Marvel Universe. And here's Green Lantern where there's a lot of weird aliens. They have these powers. It's a power that involves your imagination. You can create whatever you can imagine, which is super cool. But they they go so cosmic, so weird, so quickly. It's unrelatable. Uh, you, you know what? You know what though? Kids like it. Well, so that's the only thing I will say about that. I hear you. Kids, kids like Green Lantern. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's some kids out there who probably like Spider-Man Three, Catwoman, X-Men Origins. Nobody and- likes Catwoman, Ollie. Nobody. <laughs> well, you but know. <laughs> you know, but I'm just saying, like, like I feel at least like Green Lantern was. I agree with you, and I agree on your points, but it, it's. But you know what? Part of it's also I didn't I didn't necessarily care that much about that character, in the same ways I I did about others. Well, I think, and that's the thing. Here's and so maybe that's why it DC didn't really make it. Do. It didn't make it. No, I mean I am a DC fan, and I don't. It's not well. Like, Green Lantern fans cared, and they well, have like the people. Had, no, I was going to say like people for people who this character meant so much to me, or meant so much to them. This this was a big horrible. Honky mess. Oh, they were and, in utter state of depression. And I understand that because I was even like, uh, this is kind of a weird way to go with this, but okay. Um, <laughs> you know, but it was, it was more of a like, oh, that was an odd choice, but like, it doesn't offend me as much as other films do. Well, Peter, so you got Peter Sarsgaard, who is a really great actor. Yeah. Blake Lively, who was very popular at that time, coming off of um, Gossip Girl. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Like, it should work, but it really doesn't. And here is DC and Warner Brothers messing things up again. Hey, we're going to bring back Superman Oh, whoops, we actually just kind of recreated the first couple of uh, Superman movies. Um, okay, no, don't worry, guys. We're going to reboot our cinematic universe by making Green Lantern. Oh, whoops, we made a movie that no one above the age of eight really liked. Um, and then we're going to try again later with Man of Steel. And okay, so they got things off the ground there. Uh, but man, Warner Brothers, and come on, DC, this movie was a total disappointment when this character is so interesting and cool and weird and yeah it's it's one of those things where you're wondering who is the person that was making these decisions well it had and, like seven writers credited so that could be well, part of the problem so that can be that, part of the problem and it, unless you have somebody like i i feel like you need somebody and and jj abrams is a very good example of the kind of uh, person who can be involved in these projects and really understands, like, even if he's, and generally he seems to be a fan when he, especially when you're talking about Star Trek and other things, but even when, even in dealing with Lost, like, he understands fandom. 
You know, well, and and here's the thing about Star Trek. He he's he said I wasn't a fan of Star Trek until I came on to mo- make this movie, and through the process of it, I became a fan of Star Trek. He did his homework, but he understands fandom. Do you know? He what I'm understands saying? fandom. So yeah, I think yeah, yeah. He, I think you need somebody attached to a project who understands that to sure. in order to honor that. Yeah, um, and and Joss Whedon does it, and Drew Goddard. Goddard. Well, that was the. Blah. Clearly does it. So, uh, that, you know, so I think that that's part of the problem. That, that was a problem about. with Star Trek and Star Trek Nemesis, where anyone who tells me that they didn't like Star Trek in the darkness, I say, go watch Star Trek Nemesis. That is a complete rip off of, of Wrath of Khan. And it's a horrible film because it was made by someone who didn't really get the, the genre. It was made by Stuart. Stuart, I'm forgetting his last name. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right here. You got to do your homework. You got to understand fandom. You got to understand the canon and the source material and why it resonates with people. Um, we don't see that here with Green Lantern. Um, Conrad, what's your number three? Um, my number three is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, good pick. Good pick. Yeah, uh, this is a film that came out in 2003, and it was very, very loosely based on uh, the comic book series of the same name. Um, that was by Alan Moore. Alan Moore was the creator. creator. Um, and, you know, I was very surprised that they decided to do this as a film because I thought it was a very <laughs> odd thing. And it was it's one of those things where I just don't think that it translates very well. Um there were a lot of like it's a very campy in in series if that makes sense. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. like it's set in a Victorian era. Um you know they they're Alan Moore puts like has a little bit of a wicked sense of humor. Um there's like references to make it to to have some relevance to people that are were reading it then. Um but you know this was a fun series. It was a cool series. Like all of Alan Moore's stories, it's extraordinarily complicated. Um, but it, it just was very odd. You know, also, I, I think it, it was a little bit of a... If it came out now, it has like so much of the steampunk sensibility. It could work now. That's yeah. the thing. It's, it's unfortunate because it came out in a decade that didn't know what to do with it and wasn't right. ready for this kind of stuff. It, w- it would totally resonate now. Like If you look at um, Kingsman, um, it, it, Kingsman wouldn't have worked in right. the 90s. It didn't even come out in the 90s. So uh, I don't think that we have that problem. But League of Extraordinary Gen- Gentlemen could work now. Well, it could. And this is the reason why I put it on my list, is that after this it came out... It. it Well, it killed it, but it was already kind of, you know... It, it's not like this... Anybody who might have been a fan of this would never be a fan. Like, who had not been exposed to this would never be a fan of this. I didn't even recognize sure. this. They added in a weird Tom Sawyer character into the film to appeal to Americans. They also added in a couple of other characters that were kind of strange. It didn't belong there. Um, it was just very poorly made, hard to follow, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, and to the point where Alan Moore very famously stated that, you know... I'm not going to be, I don't, all all of my creativity is about putting these stories into graphic novel form. Um, And so he did not get any royalties from Watchmen for that reason, Mm. because he didn't want to be associated with any project after this happened. Mm. Um, I think that that says an awful lot. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't. 
remember really anything. Did you did you ever see it? I did, but I don't really remember it at all. That's how much I didn't really like it. Um I remember being very confused uh when I saw it. I think any even I who had read this was very confused as, at what they were doing here. <laughs> um oh oh the 90s. Um, how you've messed up so many of our beloved franchises. So, um, my number two pick is, uh, this is, is, this is a tie into Daredevil a bit. I didn't put Daredevil on our top five because we kind of talked about why it's so bad. Um, but the same director, Mark Steven Johnson, who made Daredevil and who later made Elektra, also made my number two most worst superhero film, and that's Ghost Rider. I don't like this film at all. Okay, I don't, I don't like this film. However, Electra is your number two. No, no, oh, okay. they're both. They're both. You know what? They're both in my honorable mentions. Okay. Um, and the reason why is that I was never really um, attached to the Ghost Rider character. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was a little, uh, you know. Never, never really did it for me. But this film was terrible. This and film's right. horrible. It's it's and boring. they made a sequel to it, which I can't oh. believe. How how does that happen? So that happened with the Punisher as well, where they made the Punisher and then they kind of tried to reboot it very shortly after. Um, how do these horrible movies get sequels? I don't know. I, it was also Ghost Rider was also this this time frame of came out in two thousand seven. And this was where studios were trying to make as many superhero films as they possibly could, which is not that different from now. But the difference now is everyone is trying to create this uh, cinematic universe, Mm -hmm. which requires you to be a little bit more prudent, to think a little bit more carefully about what characters you're doing and how you're weaving them in together. Um, People have looked at Marvel and what Marvel... (coughs) Excuse me, listeners. People have looked at Marvel to see what they've accomplished, and they have envy. They're trying to replicate that. In the 2000s, it's much more what can we get the rights to and what can we make as quickly as possible because apparently people like superheroes, so let's just cash in. I think that's kind of what happened with with Ghost Rider. So Ghost Rider starring Nicolas Cage – Okay, so you have that going on, um, but he's playing Johnny Blaze, and uh, you know I'm not a like massive uh, Ghost Rider fan, but I always played at Ghost as Ghost Rider when I played the Marvel customizable card game when I was back in middle school, and so I had an affinity for this character, and I think he is like the Punisher, like Daredevil. One of the more kind of street level Marvel heroes that's fighting these different fights, and he is a darker hero, kind of like like Spawn. The storyline is a bit more dark, and the film didn't really honor that. It didn't really resonate with the canon. And Conrad, it was just boring. Um, I was really really bored here, and um, it didn't destroy the franchise because they made a sequel, Ghost Rider. Spirit of Vengeance. Um, but it was something that kind of destroyed the character for me for a while. So that's my number two pick. Uh, mine is actually Spawn. Speaking of Spawn. Oh, well, look at that. We do have a bit of a uh, uh, hellish character mind meld for number two. 
Yeah. Um, and this is the thing. I... It's... Spawn it was a very dark. It's so hard for me to talk about this one. Um, I can tell. Yeah. My. Do you have to put on the therapy hat? Comic? No, I thought that these comics were so freaking cool. Yeah. Um, and image you know, comics. Yep. Todd McFarlane is beautiful. The, yeah, and they're gorgeous. And um, so you know, in the nineties, there uh, you and I. I mentioned this in another. I think in another top five at some point, but there was um, the Spawn, the animated series, yeah. um, where they did, you know, a pretty, a pretty, um, eh, I would say it was like a true to the story, they true to the canon, um, you, you know, um, sorry, it was an HBO miniseries, um, and it was wow, that really, was that was on HBO. That's really yeah, weird. yeah, and it was really really good. Um, just just very well just interesting animation they did a good job with the characters i mean it made me really i was like oh this is fantastic i'm so excited because then i saw uh, a trailer for uh for the live action film and uh, you know i'll say that the, the film adaptation came out in 1997 um they've actually discussed of making of a sequel of this. Um, and then <laughs> early this year, Todd McFarlane announced that they're going to do another adaptation. So maybe they will get it right this yeah, time. Yeah. And I think that they really would just do better to forget that this first adaptation ever existed. Now, I know that there was a ton of financial issues with this, to the and they weren't quite at the point with, with CGI that they yeah. can make certain things work with this character. Um, honestly, maybe they have the right idea doing this now because I think that they could do a lot of different things with this that they definitely could not do then. Um, and the the adaptation came out um, by... Um, I want to say it was... Maybe it was New Line Cinema that was doing it. And at the time, I know that they were having... Uh, yeah, it was New Line. Um, they were having a lot of problems. And so they put all their money into trying to animate the cape for one scene. Yeah. And it pretty much... I think that must have been what the budget was for the whole movie. Like they, they made their money back on Lord of the Rings, but that was a huge financial gamble. They they were not doing too well in the, right. in the this late was, 90s. This was during the dark days for them. Yeah. Um, and really, the writing was terrible... Um, it was very, very spotty in terms of just continuity. They, were, they really did not do a very good job in setting up the story, and it just was absolutely awful. I could not recognize anything within this film as being either from the graphic novel um, or from the animated series. What, what makes it so disappointing, uh, what made the Spawn film so disappointing is it's, it's, the, it's the 90s where we've shifted to a lot of the digital inking and Image Comics that released uh, Spawn was this kind of rev- really felt like revolutionary comic book uh, publisher where because of that digital inking, things just kind of felt like they were so bold and leapt right off the page. And uh, Spawn was one of the when – you, when you felt like you were reading Spawn, you felt like you were reading something like a little bit rebellious. And this is a – anti-hero uh, an assassin who was pulled into hell and was going to lead hell's army against heaven but actually mm-hmm. turns against evil um whoa okay this is a different story and i really 
enjoyed reading those early Spawn comics. Oh, they and were they, great, and they were dark, and they had really cool storylines. It and was they were fun. beautiful. And, and then you yeah, well, look at Well, I'd always say this, it was fun. It was fun for people like me, uh, <laughs> who have different ideas of what fun is. Well, when you had just been burned by the, the death of Superman, and there's just going to be this whole thing, and it just ends up being this ploy to make a lot of money and then Superman comes back Mm -hmm. then you read something like Spawn you felt like this is new this is really innovative stuff and then you see the film and it's not beautiful it's it doesn't capture those the visual um, the visual storytelling that that the original comic has that I think I think that's one of the reasons why it just was so sad I mean we were not there yet with CG to be able to pull this off but now Oh, yeah. and now, I mean, there's a new animated series in the work as well as a live action film in the works. Well, so, so all keep, that stuff's cool. So just I, keep lo- John Leguizamo away from okay, the character of the yeah. clown. Uh, well, yeah. But that, char- that character is freaking <laughs> scary no matter what. So, but yeah. he, made it, he made it even worse. But anyway, yeah, so there, there is that. But... Um, but are we ready to reveal our number ones? Oh, yeah. So my number one is a little bit of a cheat, Conrad. A little I'm not surprised. <laughs> bit of a cheat, but I think you're going to give me this one. Um, my number one is a tie. Oh, it, no, 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 no. Yes, it is. I will absolutely not give it to you, but go ahead, Orson you Welles. Might, you, <laughs> you might after I reveal what they are. <laughs> no way, Citizen Kane. Keep going. <laughs> Number time for number one, Superman three and Superman four, the quest for peace. Eh, no, you gotta pick one. I can't. They're both equally horrible, and they're some of the most horrible superhero films. They destroyed the Superman franchise for a long time, and in destroying the Superman franchise, also dis- destroyed what Warner Brothers had the rights to do a very long time ago, which is a cinematic universe that combines Superman and Batman. Okay, so here's here's the situation, folks. We've got an amazing first Superman movie, the movie that made um, superhero films possible. Christopher Reeve playing the definitive superhero. And then we had a fantastic sequel. Superman 1 and 2 are gold. Say what you will about Man of Steel. Say what you will about Superman Returns. But that character of of, of Christopher Reeve's Superman, when he wants to battle a bad guy, he asks them to step out of the building because he doesn't want collateral damage. He doesn't want to hurt anyone else. It's very clear that that Superman Kal-El is Superman and Clark Kent is the the character wonderful wonderful movies with a Lois Lane who is far more feminist than what we've seen in the last couple of Superman films um i love this those two films and then you have Superman 3 um Superman 3 is a horrible piece of crap let's just say that Richard Pryor is cast as this kind of computer genius 
And it basically the producers were like, well, Richard Pryor is really funny and really popular. Let's throw him into this family friendly super hit man film and let's make him funny, but take away all the things that make him funny. And um, let's give Superman basically a villain who is not interesting in any way. And the movie was horrible. OK, we've learned our lessons. Let's now make Superman four. Create a villain that's as powerful or more powerful than Superman. Let's bring back Lex Luthor. Um, have him rehash some of his plots from the first couple of movies. Um, let's uh, let's have him collect a strand of hair and throw it into the sun that somehow makes this atomic man. And let's have the most horrible battles on the moon <laughs> between this atomic man nuclear man and christopher reeve um really bad effects um really cheaply made and it destroyed the superman franchise at, at a time when batman was just about to come out and we could have had the ultimate batman superman team up and no conrad we had to wait um how many years has it been uh, 10, 20, about 23 years for what could have happened in, in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, it's the worst end to one of the greatest superhero franchises. I I can't argue with the fact that these are silly, silly films, but maybe I'm just so far removed that I can't even remember them, which is totally possible. Well, to review your to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't need to refresh. Well, I don't. Superman I know, I know. four, twelve percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Superman nice. three, twenty six percent. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, but how are they at nine percent? Catwoman. <laughs> anyway, um, my number one is it. You know, it seemed like a few more people like this than Catwoman, but it was still <laughs> for me. It was. I walked out of the theater feeling very angry. Um, and so my number one is X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, well, I was wondering if this was going to appear on your list. Yep. It's, yeah. it's there. Um, you know, they, they switched out directors. Brett Ratner directed this instead of Brian Singer, who, who I feel really does, clearly does understand uh, that franchise. Brett Ratner clearly did does not. not. Um, not only does not, but um, he gives zero Fs is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to just blame it all on him because I think... I think there's a lot to do with the writing, clearly. Um, and, you know, he this project was left by Brian Singer. Uh, he left this project to create Superman Returns, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is even like insult to injury. Um, and so, you know, I like I can't totally lay this all at the feet of Mr. Ratner, although I really, really want to. Um I think it's safe to place most of the burden there on him. Most yeah. you, you got to also blame uh, the the screenwriters. But well, what I was going to say is that, like you know, it, it just it, it was just terrible. Um, the I I just feel like the continuity was terrible. It was again they went to the cartoonish end of things. It was very it, they did things with characters that I just freaking hated. Um, and I don't feel like they did uh, the Jean Grey slash Phoenix character. Um, they didn't do justice. 
And so gr- I just one of the most beloved storylines in X Men, what is set up in X two and just horribly done in terms of the Dark Phoenix in X Men Last Stand. Right now, there with you, Conrad. Right. And I mean the thing is is that people who weren't necessarily fans of the franchise actually like this. Um so you know it it's <sighs> So I have to I have to at least say that I guess they were successful in getting some of that, you know, audience that didn't necessarily really care. Um, but I think for a fan of this franchise, for a franchise that means so much to me, yeah, like it felt like it was just a not I as I said, I couldn't even recognize it. So Yeah, and uh, so so many things that were tone deaf. Uh, giving Patrick Stewart's uh, Professor X a, a horrible send off, killing yeah. off Cyclops off screen, mm-hmm. um, destroying that the, the Dark Phoenix storyline, um, taking away the power of that character um, of Jean Grey, um, and which speaks to our Wonder Woman episode a couple of, uh, weeks ago, and the, the themes of strong women in comics can't handle their powers well. That was really brought to to the screen here with uh, X Men: The Last Stand. So, um, part of it, I, bra- I blame uh, Brett Ratner. I also think the fact that the original director's not involved um, that that plays a role. And it, it, you know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but it seems like Brian Singer did leave kind of late in the game. Um, or maybe at the last possible moment, he left X-Men The Last Stand before he had to commit to uh, Superman Returns. But uh, it, so part of his leadership, uh, part of it's uh, the writer, Simon Kinberg, Zach Penn. Um, I will say, though, uh, Simon Kinberg, who was also involved in writing X-Men uh, Days of Future Past, when um, I saw him at Com- at, at not at Comic-Con, at WonderCon, he said, we have tried to correct the mistakes we right. made in X-Men The Last Stand. And what I thought he meant by that at the time was we've corrected the narrative mistakes and the story mistakes. No, no, no. What it also I mean, resonates th- with now is basically they uh, they retconned everything yeah. that happens in X-Men The Last Stand. Well, they the did. Stand. And, you know, this is the thing is that a lot of the, the criticism for this film is that they took away all the emotional parts of these characters and the storyline and they were just like, all right, let's do all these fight scenes and let's just show a lot of random powers and not even, you know, so much of what goes on here is it's not just about showing those powers. It's about showing how they relate to other people and how they relate to the storyline. And I think that they did. Uh, I think Days of Future Past recovered it. So, well, And what's interesting, so uh, Zach Penn, the other writer for Last Stand, he was involved in developing some of the story for Avengers and... He wrote the script for Ready Player One, one of our favorites that we've covered on this, uh, along with, you know, the Ernest Klein, the, the author. So um, maybe the writers will be redeeming themselves. I think Kinberg already redeemed himself with Days of Future Past. Zach Penn, I hope you brought it for Ready Player One because Steven Spielberg is making it with you. Um, and then, uh, you know, who hasn't really redeemed himself in my book? Conrad Brett Ratner. No, uh, <laughs> no, he is not. No, I mean, yeah. Uh, don't even talk. Don't utter his name anymore. Let, so anyway, so in terms of uh, honorable mentions, to, um, I had Spider-Man 3, Elektra, Ghost Rider, um, and also Batman and Robin, which I know will make you mad. I, I, it's going to make me mad? Do you think it will make you mad? 
I thought it might make you a little mad. Why would it make me mad? I don't know, because you liked Mr. Freeze. All right, everyone. Chill. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, it doesn't make me mad. Uh, I know a lot of people hate Batman and Robin, and um, it did destroy that franchise for a bit. Um, it, it took a while before it could be rebooted uh, by Christopher Nolan. I, I don't, here's why I don't hate it and why it's not on my top five and it's not an honorable mention. Um, it's super campy, and I can watch it and laugh at it very easily. Um, it's uh, And it's also, if we didn't have Bat- Batman and Robin, maybe we wouldn't have Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins because, um, uh, what's his name, the director ruined that franchise so much mm. um, uh, that they Warner Brothers is like, all right, we need to go in a totally different direction here. Um, what was his name, Conrad, the director? I'm, I'm blanking on him. But, you know, Batman Forever, I was able to enjoy and um, Batman and Robin is a horrible movie, but I'm able to laugh at it. So it's it's not really, I don't I don't horror. I'm not I don't have that many strong feelings about it. Um, uh, my honorable mention here is Fantastic Four. Oh, there you go. I I was thinking about that too. And it's really bad. It's pretty bad. It's really as I said. There's so this is this was a tough list to to narrow down because there actually quite, are quite a few. There's so but. many. Um, and then it's like with Fantastic Four, do I choose the original or do I choose the sequel, which is also bad. Um, it was just a wasted opportunity. They took a, a really – I loved the Fantastic Four cartoon when I was growing up. And I think it's it's just such a cool storyline. And Doctor Doom is a cool villain. Um, and they just ruined that one. The other other, other honorable mention here – and I'm going to be honest here. I haven't seen it completely – but it's always mentioned is Howard the Duck. Yeah, it's really bad. And I thought about putting it on the list, except that they, it's so like it's such a reference point now. Yeah, especially like, after a, like, a, of like a cultural reference point in terms of like what not to do. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I felt like if something that is that bad, I don't know. Um, and I also don't remember it, even though I think I may have seen it when I was a kid. Yeah, Same. yeah, no, I, I, I don't really remember it well, and I mean, I mean, I haven't seen all of it, but I, you know, and I don't know. But here's the thing, folks: um, we apparently really like talking about films we hate because mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time doing that, Conrad. That was a ton of fun. What I want to do now is hear from all of you. Please let us know what did we get wrong, what's missing, what we would be got on- nothing. No, 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 no. <laughs> We got uh, nothing wrong. You might have like Ali. the one person who I, loves X three and is going to come out or love Green Lantern. I guess there are there might <laughs> or be some people Spawn out there and thinks that the but, effects are so. But this lovely. is the thing: there are no wrong answers. I just want to hear other people's opinions about it. There That's are all. no wrong answers, only Conrad's. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in this top five. You're Thank getting. This you. is why. This is why we can't have nice <laughs> things or or things we don't like. Anyhow, <laughs> um, let us know, listeners. Yes. What What would be on your list? Um, many ways to let us know. You can go to our website. Go to nerdhour.com. Leave a comment there. You can find us on Twitter. We are quite chatty Cathy's. Um, at Nerd Hour is where to find us. You can also email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour. And Conrad, when you're not talking about uh, super 
superhero films you hate. What what else do you do in your spare time? Oh, everybody knows. It's on Reanimated, the zombie podcast for zombie fans with my friend Stuart Tiffin, Reanimated PCast on Twitter and reanimatedpodcast.com. Check it out. Lovely. And this week on thepsychshow.com, if you head over there, um, later this week I am doing an episode on Daredevil and the psychology behind his powers. So please come check that out. You can also find me on brainknowsbetter.com where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And last but not least, um, hit me up on Twitter and I will promise I will um, talk to you back unless you disagree with my top five list, in which case there will be blood. No, I'm you're, just... the, you're the one soliciting other, like, wrong answers, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I just dislike these films so bad that I can't imagine anyone who likes them. But maybe you do, and if you do, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, friend of the show, Alan Bailward. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Please let me know what you think, good sir. Um, and madams and all beings of all of all species and planets, please let us know. Um, with that, Conrad, um, oh gosh, I am really looking forward to next week. What are we talking about next week? We are talking about the indie film Ex Machina, which when did, it came out at South by Southwest, right? I, I, maybe it did. Um, I have no idea. I, I haven't was, done my I research it, yet. I think it was released, <laughs> but now it's getting a lot of acclaim. So it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a limited release right now, New York and L.A., but um, Nerd Night, hi, we are not Nerd Night, we are Nerd Hour. <laughs> um, Nerd Hour has got you covered. We're going to have a review for you guys. Um, really interesting, Conrad. We're getting a lot of a lot of discussion about AI. We had that in uh, in Black Mirror, and we're going to be having that now with Age of um, Age of Ultron um, Avengers coming out soon. And we're going to be talking about that with Ex Machina. I am excited to talk about this with you. So, yeah. it's so been until a while since we've done like an indie kind of film, yeah, yeah. So, and it's good to see these films getting the audiences that they deserve. But I will reserve judgment until I actually see it. And yeah, yeah, we yeah. Discuss. So, until then, folks, please live long and prosper. <laughs>